If we've learned anything from the COVID-19 pandemic, it's that very little returns to normal until kids go back to school. But two years ago, we were pretty lucky our kids weren't in school. The Magna earthquake caused damage to a couple schools that could have been fatal if school had been in person that morning. The schools that experienced the most damage were URMs, unreinforced masonry buildings, buildings made up of rows of brick or cinder block mortared together without anything like rebar running through them. It's not very flexible, so when the ground shakes or liquefies under a URM, the masonry just cracks and crumbles. Our building code hasn't allowed this kind of construction since 1976, but URMs still make up one out of every five occupied buildings, including 119 schools that serve 72,000 students. Take it from Elsie Grow, a senior at Jordan High School and a member of the Envision Utah Youth Council. Well, for me, like Jordan High School is basically a second home. I'm there all the time. I'm probably there nine, ten hours a day going to school and doing my extracurriculars. And it's also just like the people who go there are really important to me. So like I knew that I was in an unreinforced masonry school building with all the people that I love and care about. That would be really stressful just to like have that knowledge and that weight um, on your back. To continue a theme from last episode, when we think and talk about disasters, we often focus on what you might consider disaster preparedness, the things you can do to be ready for the moment of a disaster and immediately after. We know to do things like secure furniture, prepare emergency kits, store food and water. When the ground shakes, we should dive under desks or tables. These things prepare us to survive an earthquake. But what if schools are so damaged that kids can't go back after an earthquake? What if your home collapses or is unsafe and you need to find a place to shelter? You might have a 72-hour kit, or better yet, a 96-hour kit, but what happens in hour 100, or hour 500, or even hour 1500? Will there be a mass exodus from the state? Will our economy ever be able to recover? It turns out, whether or not we survive isn't the same question as whether, or even when, we can ever get back to normal. This is the Your Utah, Your Future podcast. Envision Utah's podcast about how we make sure Utah is a great place to live now, for decades to come, and even after an earthquake. In 2015, more than 52,000 Utahns helped shape a vision for Utah in 2050. In that process, we learned that disaster resilience is not really a top concern for most Utahns. But working with disaster experts, we also started to get a better picture of just how devastating a major disaster could be. It could disrupt our economy, our communities, our education system in ways that are hard even to imagine. So our goal is to spur your imagination. We're not trying to scare everyone. Instead, we want all of us to be thinking about the true nature of the risks we face. When we understand those risks, we can take innovative steps to mitigate those risks and build a Utah that's resilient in the face of a major disaster. In our last episode, we talked about strengthening water infrastructure and exploring an earthquake early warning system for Utah, two of five new recommendations from the Utah Seismic Safety Commission. Today, we'll finish off our series on earthquakes talking about the three remaining recommendations. Recommendations all about making our buildings safer. Just last month, the Utah Division of Emergency Management released a statewide report that identified high-risk URM buildings on public school campuses. So this report is the culmination of years and years of work by the school districts themselves as well as by the state. The schools are responsible for constructing their buildings, for maintaining them, for improving them. And so there's no central repository for that information at the state. Jessica Chapel, a structural engineer and member of the Utah Seismic Safety Commission, worked on the project technical committee for the report. So even though they are insured by the state, 
there's not a record of what has been retrofitted and what hasn't. And so this report really offers a big picture view at the state of our public schools as they are right now. We have the opportunity to look at where the state might be able to work with the federal government or other parties to help the process of replacement or rehabilitation of these unreinforced masonry schools. While this is definitely about protecting Utah students and teachers in an earthquake, strengthening URM school buildings is also important for recovery from the disaster. Public schools often function as emergency shelters or community gathering places during and after a disaster. But in order to do so, they need to be standing. To their credit, and these schools, they have been working on this issue, but it is such a large issue that as we look at the problem as a whole on the state, look at the ability of the state to allocate funds and really just advocating for a shot in the arm or a way to support these local education agencies in doing what is their priority, which is looking out for the well-being and the safety of these kids. As you can imagine, figuring out how to strengthen these buildings is a mammoth and complex undertaking. Schools are usually built with local funding, and not all districts have the resources or even the tax base to pay for these fixes. And to retrofit or rebuild 119 schools will cost billions of dollars, not to mention the additional schools that are under-reinforced. But this report was the first necessary step. Now we know which schools have URMs. As a next step, the Seismic Safety Commission recommends funding feasibility studies for retrofitting or replacing these buildings. Basically, get engineers to see which buildings can be fixed, which need to be torn down, and to get an idea of what it will cost. Then, school districts or the state can actually start to figure out how to do it. The engineering feasibility studies would cost an estimated $3.8 million to do for all 119 schools. Unfortunately, these feasibility studies didn't get funding from the legislature to move forward this year, but it's still critical that we find a way to do these. Sierra Sun, another member of Envision Utah's Youth Council, put it this way. It's not just about our own schools, but the wider community and our whole state, right? And we want to make sure that everyone can be saved at school and that we're working towards that goal. But that isn't going to happen at this moment. And we're really hoping that it does soon, maybe in the next legislative session, we can get that passed or a similar bill passed and make sure that we're able to take the next steps to keep everyone safe. The next recommendation from the Seismic Safety Commission is to keep our communities informed about URMs. Once again, here's John Crofts from the Division of Emergency Management. Public engagement is so important when you're talking about emergency management and mitigation. I think it's very important not to motivate people with fear, but to motivate people with knowledge. Utah has 140,000 URMs. These include everything, homes, apartments, offices, And these will be the primary sources of injuries and death in an earthquake. But most of us don't know about these risks. But if we all have the knowledge to identify URMs in our lives, it will help us assess our own vulnerabilities in an earthquake. Now, letting people know there's a problem obviously doesn't solve the problem. This public awareness campaign is really just a first step in mitigating URM risk. The more people who know about URMs and the more attention we can draw to them, the more likely the free market can help fix the problem, and the more likely the resources and technology we need to fix them will become available. In the meantime, if you live or work in a URM, you can look into retrofitting your building. It's not cheap, but it can be done. Some states, like California, have required URMs to be retrofitted before being sold for decades. Putting on a new roof or remodeling part of your home are usually good times to do these projects. 
Or if you live in Salt Lake City, you can get on the waiting list for Fix the Bricks, which provides federal funds to upgrade URM homes. Short of a full retrofit, you can do smaller improvements like bracing your chimney. And regardless of your type of home, you should know that standard homeowner's insurance doesn't cover earthquake damage. And financial assistance from FEMA likely won't come close to rebuilding your home if it's destroyed. If you want your home to be insured from an earthquake, you need earthquake insurance. The last recommendation we'll talk about aims to keep our buildings standing by ensuring adequate building code enforcement. Like we mentioned, it's been nearly 50 years since building codes allowed for the construction of URMs. Today's building codes are written to a higher standard to preserve lives during an earthquake and to help buildings return to functionality after an earthquake. Or at least that's the goal. But ensuring seismic safety codes is like a three-legged stool. One leg is the adoption of safe building codes. Another is conducting a plan review before construction. And the final leg is to have the building inspected. Unfortunately, you might be surprised how often one or two of the legs are missing. Again, here's Jessica Chapel. Right now it is estimated that only one in four of these projects gets a review by someone who has the technical knowledge to do a structural plan review. An extra set of eyes on a structural design that could be the difference between somebody getting out of a building or not in a major earthquake. That's really worth our time as a community. That's something we should be investing in. This is especially true when we think about critical buildings such as hospitals and schools and power stations. If these buildings fail, it's a bigger problem felt across the community than it is if other kinds of buildings fail. Because of this, building codes put these in a higher risk category. The recommendation from the Seismic Safety Commission is that all of these higher risk category buildings undergo a review to ensure they are built up to code. Well, there you have it, the five recommendations from the Utah Seismic Safety Commission. Keep our water flowing after an earthquake by upgrading our major aqueducts. Keep our kids safe and our schools intact by taking steps towards retrofitting or rebuilding URM schools. Ensure our communities and our markets understand URMs and the risks of URMs. Ensure building codes are enforced by reviewing the plans for certain really important buildings. And finally, explore an earthquake early warning system to buy us a few seconds to avoid some of the worst impacts of an earthquake. These aren't the only steps we need to make, but if more of our buildings are standing, if fewer Utahns are dead or injured from falling bricks, if water is flowing, if schools can reopen, and if we've been able to avoid some other severe damage, then not only will we have better chances at recovering at all from a major earthquake, we have a chance at a reasonably quick recovery. You can read more about these recommendations at envisionutah.org or earthquakes.utah.gov. But wait, there are a few more things we need to talk about. This is what the USSC's document does, is that it provides vision and leadership and consensus at the state level and demonstrates that these are important issues to pursue through multiple avenues. And of course, as these are implemented, hopefully more and more considerations will be given to things like social equity. That's Dr. Divya Chandrasekhar, Associate Professor in Urban Planning at the University of Utah. She specializes in community recovery from disasters. Her research specifically looks at how community stakeholders make decisions during disaster recovery. What does it mean to have social equity in school retrofits? What does it mean to have social equity in public information campaigns? Who should we be informing? How should they be informed? What languages, what areas, what forums, what mediums, right? These are tough questions, and we don't have answers to all of them. 
but we believe Utahns agree that earthquake safety and resilience shouldn't be a luxury reserved for only small groups of Utahns. Everyone should have the opportunity to be safe and resilient. You reduce poverty and you go a long way towards reducing disaster risk. You fix food security and you will go a long way towards fixing disaster risk. So we cannot think of this as something special and extra. This has to be thought in an integrated way with other aspects of development. Another point we want to remember is that the when of an earthquake is ultimately unknown. We know that it's basically a coin toss that the Wasatch Front will experience a magnitude 6.75 or greater quake in the next 50 years. But is that tomorrow? Five years from now, 45 years from now, even long after that? The point is, time may be on our side. We might have time to fix a lot of the buildings and strengthen our infrastructure. Or maybe not. And we can't end this podcast without a little discussion of technology. Here once again is earthquake engineer Dr. Brady Cox. One of the research projects we worked on in New Zealand was to figure out economical ways to retrofit existing home foundations so that they would be better able to withstand soil liquefaction. One of those ways was we used horizontal drilling, where we drill horizontally underneath a building. And then as we're withdrawing that drill, we were mixing the soil with cement grout, and we create beams that help to stabilize the foundation. And some more interesting biotechnology. We're using what we call bio-improved ground. In a nutshell, I'll give the really non-technical description. There is all kinds of bugs, quote unquote, bacteria, for example, that exist in the ground. And if you feed them certain substances, it will cause those bugs to produce cementaceous byproducts that would glue the soil together, or it will cause them to emit gas bubbles that will desaturate the ground. And it's saturated soils that are responsible for soil liquefaction. So if we can unsaturate the soil, even like 1%, we can prevent soil liquefaction. Pretty cool, right? And finally, the last thing we have for you is a pep talk. Earthquakes were happening long before the developed Utah we know, but they didn't have the same potential for a disaster that we have now. There's potential for a disaster precisely because of the communities we've developed around the faults. But if we built our way into this high-risk situation, we can build ourselves out. We know what needs to happen. We know that it can be done. Now it's just up to us to take the steps to become resilient, to make sure Utah can stay a great place to call home, even after an earthquake. Next time on the Your Utah, Your Future podcast, we'll leave earthquakes behind and talk with the experts on Utah's other natural hazards, like wildfires and flooding. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Tuning into this podcast and others like it is a great first step to increasing our resiliency. Special thanks to all of our expert guests for joining us today. Jessica Chappell, John Crofts, Dr. Brady Cox, and Dr. Divya Chandrasekhar. Thanks as well to two members from the Envision Utah Youth Council, Elsie Grow and Sierra Sun. This podcast is an Envision Utah production made possible by Envision Utah supporters and the many, many Utahns who have worked with us on disaster resilience issues over more than two decades. This episode was written and produced by Shayla Adams with Nate Brown and me, Jason Brown. Be sure to share this with your friends and family, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and join us next time for one last episode on disasters as we talk about wildfires and flooding in Utah.